This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with the other person who lives in my home. She is an arts administrator, historic house manager, a dancer, in lots of other nouns. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. It is. It is. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it's me. I do those things. You do all those things. <laughs> I didn't start the podcast with a lie. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, in fact, we're going to share lots of honesty, our honest opinions and yes. feelings about the Game of Thrones uh, finale, the Mm -hmm. finale episode, and the big final season, and sort of the cultural reaction to it all, and the cultural experience of being inside a sea of Game of Thrones (laughs) thoughts, opinions, discussions. Also, in the category of honesty, we Mm -hmm. have some drinks. We do. Yeah. Do you want to tell the audience about the drinks? I do. Tonight we are drinking. <laughs> it's you sounded like I scripted that. Mm. Oh no, you okay. totally didn't. I was just excited to talk about what we're drinking tonight. Okay. <laughs> tonight we will be drinking as the sommelier, except it's the whiskey, and I don't know what that's called. So see if it were scripted, I would know that word already. The um, Scottish person, yeah. <laughs> our so- Scotch selection, except anyway, anyway. we're drinking. Johnny Walker, uh, they a few different brands of whiskey and scotch in particular put out uh, Game of Thrones themed whiskeys this year, and we picked up the Johnny Walker um, Game of Thrones whiskey, the White Walker, the White Walker, yeah. and so we are drinking from the freezer as it recommends. Um, White Walker whiskey. Yeah. So yeah, if, if people haven't seen it, it's basically has the normal Johnny Walker figure, but uh, as the Night King. Mm-hmm. And we got it a while ago, and then we uh, saved it for this season of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And uh, spoilers, there are going to be spoilers. Oh, yeah. Uh, this bottle of whiskey lasted longer than the Night King himself. It did. Which I was impressed. Yeah. <laughs> by our <laughs> slow sipping. Yeah. Of the, uh, the whiskey is coming. Whiskey. Absolutely. Yeah. We also, um, I just want to say, since I did mention, took it from the freezer, which is not normally where we store our scotch yeah. or our whiskey, but the bottle says, try this frozen and see the surprise on the label and the way that the flavor changes. So being the you know good listeners that we are, we listened to our <laughs> bottle of whiskey. You did. You read this and listened <laughs> to the whiskey. We put it in the freezer. It does change the flavor experience. And also when it's frozen, the um, the label says winter is here. Oh, that's right. Not not just coming. It's here. Yeah. Let's, uh, in fact, clink our, our glasses Ooh, yes. in that cheers thing. Cheers. It's cheers. here. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Very flavorful. It sure and is. delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, so I said spoilers, and I'm yeah. going to say it again. Spoilers. Because we're going to talk about everything, all of it. Uh, and if you're interested, Sarah and I did a rewatch um, pretty quickly, yeah. a, a, a mini binge of the rest of Game of Thrones up until this final season. We did an episode uh, of Obsessed all about that because we were quite obsessed, and I've been very obsessed with this uh, final season, and I Mm -hmm. I, I think you have as well. We'll discover obsession levels. (laughs) Um, But if you want to check that out and and get a little bit of kind of what what we really responded to, the characters we liked, all that, you can check out that episode of Obsessed. But for now, let's dig into 
the final season. Yes. And in fact, I was thinking I should have really listened to some of the predictions that I made because I don't remember all of them. <laughs> I looked at the questions and the thoughts that I'd written up to reframe like how I'd been thinking about Game of Thrones before mm-hmm. the final season. And I think it's fascinating to me. I think we all get different things from art and especially a long narrative. So when a narrative is ending, it all depends on what spoke to us. Yeah. You know, is it in essay about power is it a little bit more of a soap opera is it really just a competition to be who will win like mm-hmm. all of the different ways that you can look at a show like this so it informs how we see the ending and what we want out of the ending yeah uh, and i'm sure we're going to talk about that some more but let's get into it i want to start with just our overall reaction to the conclusion mm-hmm. were you satisfied mixed furious a little bit of everything, <laughs> a potpourri of emotion. I I was overall satisfied. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I would say um, overall I liked it. There are a few nitpicky things, which I do have within the overall final season and final kind of ending points. But for the most part, um, I was satisfied that that was the story that um, – they, the creators of the TV show and J- George R. R. Martin, to some extent, will find out maybe someday <laughs> if this was also his ending. But I feel like this was the story they wanted to tell us. Yeah. Or they chose to tell us. And if I may just interject very yeah. quickly, uh, George R. R. Martin did speak today. Oh. And his response to, is it the same ending? Uh, when that had been asked of uh, uh, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, they yeah. had said, out of respect for George's novels, we all agreed not to say okay. what it, what is specifically from him and what is specifically from us. And when George R. R. Martin was asked today as we record this, he said, yes and no and yes and no and yes and no. <laughs> so like he was really like, I think it absolutely could be like, yeah, Bran was always going to be the king. He's Bran, Bran is the king, is the ending. But man, how I get there, that's going to happen. Not going to ever happen that way. And Brienne's going to remain in the north with Sansa. And like, who knows? Yeah. And what he's really saying is book, the last book is actually five books long. Yeah. And it is also, they're not written. So mm-hmm. who knows what his ending will be? We shall find out. Even he doesn't Maybe. know what his ending might be once he gets writing, <laughs> yeah. I would imagine. Anyway, yeah. thank you for letting me interject that. No, so, that's great. I didn't know that. I was wondering if he had said anything. Yeah. So I want to hear more about your reaction. You were overall satisfied. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the point of satisfica- satisfaction? Like oh, the word. winter is here. Satisfaction. What made you satisfied? Oh, goodness. I mean, how many things do you want me to list? I I liked the overall, the arc. I feel like it was a satisfying arc to the show overall. Um, to me, a lot of the arc was about characters' journeys. Yeah. Uh, both literally and um, emotionally and physically and uh, all, a lot of different other lees. Yeah. And so I felt like it was an interesting array of journeys that people went on, um, self-growth, actual journeys, whatever, um, all of that. So just from like the, perspe- the perspective of how will these characters' stories end, you mm-hmm. got a lot of satisfaction from that. Yeah, I felt like the, for the most part, their journeys made sense to them. Mm. Some we got to spend more time with, some we didn't. That's just the reality of narrative and art and things like that, life yeah. even. Uh, so yeah, so I liked I liked that part of it very much. Okay. In terms of like big picture themes, yes. were you happy with the overall idea that particularly in that final episode that 
the that Westeros managed to make a step forward towards better government while having like the idea of democracy being literally laughable uh, like <laughs> that Samuel brings it up and people literally laugh at him even yeah. our heroes even even Sansa oh yeah uh, you know I think was arguably one of the heroes in a in a world where there aren't heroes yeah. smirks at him like that's ludicrous so they mm-hmm. take this little step forward we end with the the idea that okay we're we're not going to care about uh birthright mm-hmm. and we end with a lot of people in charge of the government who are uh, variously looked down upon at society in society for lots of different reasons, and you know at the beginning of the show should not have been there. They're not highborn, or they're not the right gender, or they have some you know physical thing that would make people judge them. All sorts of different reasons that they yeah. shouldn't be there, but they are. They are there. Yeah, and they're the ones who triumphed, and they're taking uh, a step, a, a hopeful, tentative step forward. Yes. <laughs> do you like that <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to promise. uh no 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 I, I i do and i just i got lost thinking about what you were saying and i apologize um i do i, I can jump right into some specifics i was going more for overall thematic. yeah no yeah i was yeah but i was just curious about kind of that to me analyzing the ending is about how did specific characters i care about how did their journeys end mm-hmm. and what does that say about their entire journey and who they are mm-hmm. uh and there's the how much did the show answer the various thematic questions that you are interested in? So we'll get into that in in just a moment. Okay. Um, but I, I just wanted to say that I think from for the most part that I am in the same uh, ballpark as you where I'm mostly satisfied. I think my big picture thing, because there's been so much debate, and I really, after individual episodes, and mm-hmm. I really wanted to wait and see the whole thing before having a super strong opinion. Yeah. And I think the opinion that I have come to is I really like what happened and I have questions and concerns about how it happened. Yeah. So like they're definitely like uh Daenerys's choices I would have liked a little bit more time with. And then there are just like kind of endless amounts of choices of where to spend the time in that final episode where I would have loved to have a little bit more picture of of clarity and I wish this character would have had a scene with this character so we would have got to hear this sort of juicy how did they come to that decision exactly. So like yeah. for big picture things, Danny's arc is tragic and hard and painful, but I like it and I feel like I kind of emotionally feel how that would happen. Thematically, there are ideas that I like about why that would happen, but I understand and agree with the fact that it, it feels rushed to a lot of people. Yes, and the that, same thing that with, is one of my main nitpicks. I okay. just was trying to get... I was giving, like I said, big picture, not specifics. You were like a dragon flying over the city, <laughs> not burning it, I was but not seeing it, it, seeing it just from uh, the big picture top. Yeah, I mean, I think it is hard to talk about big picture without talking to an individual. But I'll just yeah. uh, to wrap up my own reaction. I think some of the really big questions, like Danny's character, Bran becoming king. Mm-hmm. I really like the what, and I think, and I have criticisms of the how they got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of like execution and time taken and, and things like that. Yeah. So we can talk about that a little bit more. But in order to frame our conversation, I wanted to ask you, for you, what was the appeal of Game of Thrones? Like, <laughs> what, when you're sitting down to watch it and you're like, oh boy, I get to watch Game of Thrones, why are you excited? Um, Because it's to me, it's 
it's great world building. It's a world that you dive into. And I'm not saying the world itself is entirely great. <laughs> no, I think it's the, awful. I think that's yeah. part of the point of the show. <laughs> but the construction of it is very well done. The I feel like the um, you know the filming of it, the showing of it was very well done. I feel like the, a lot of the characters are grabbing it in a variety of different ways. And so, um, and then you've got a few different through lines going like who will be on the throne what's going to happen with the white walkers will anybody believe that winter is actually coming yeah um you know all of these great questions what's happening in essos what's happening in westeros like all of these to me very interesting questions and i liked it from the beginning i was uh shocked when ned stark was killed absolutely shocked but then it also kind of brings you along with the well what other what other giant things are going to happen? And there's no guarantee that the people you like are going to make it to the end. Right. Um, and not that's not why I watched, but it's also, to me, part of why I didn't necessarily want to stop. I wanted to see where the characters went. I wanted to see who made it. I wanted to see what arcs continued and which ones didn't for whatever reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you enjoyed the some of the big picture questions Yeah. that I think are some of them are literal plot questions but they're also representative of themes Mm -hmm. um but then also i I think going all the way back to ned's beheading yeah the show creates this great tension of is is that done for shock value or is it just where you were seeing a fantasy story where people don't have plot armor to protect them where things are going to happen because Mm -hmm. they're shocking excuse me some white walker in my throat um (laughs) They're not going to happen because they're shocking, but they're going to happen because it's a more brutal world. It's a more real world. Somebody being a hero doesn't give them armor. Right. Is fascinating. It it makes you feel not, I guess, I guess to me that is such a big difference between shock. It's difference between like, um, uh, I, I know the show has, has deep flaws, uh, but I, I like the show 24 and early on they did some shocking killing people and then they felt like we have to do this all the time and they kept just getting rid of like you keep getting rid of all your good actors because you're committed to (laughs) you have to be quote unquote shocking and get rid of people Mm -hmm. and game of thrones never felt like that to me it felt like any tragedy would be a question of how is that going to propel more narrative how are people going to respond to that yeah so it always felt organic to me yeah that's something that i for myself because the first time we watched the various seasons it was very piecemeal and sometimes there would be a long time um between when we watched seasons so i didn't necessarily take some of the through lines especially the first few seasons yeah and on a rewatch how much things are propelled like how much the action propels the movement of the show yeah which it always should but it doesn't necessarily always like i didn't ever feel like there was an episode of the week Maybe I'm missing one. But, <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely, know? absolutely. It's um, one big, uh, thrilling, spanning story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Plus, you have just some amazing characters. Like you know, I from very early I was like, I if nothing else, I want to see what's going to happen with Arya. Yeah, yeah. So, so part of your your love is just the characters. Yeah, and absolutely. It so that yeah. So I'm so interested in what we care about informs how we watch the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me. I was always really invested in individual characters that I just loved, like uh, Arya and Samwell and uh, Brienne. Um, 
And then, like, really flavor-wise, you know, was invested in Brawn, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, always loved Tyrion. All sorts of characters to be invested in. And even the characters that, like, I hate. Tywin was fun to watch, you know. Yeah. So there's the character's investment. Some of the characters I hated and weren't fun to watch. We talked about that before. Yep. Ramsey Bolton. Uh, <laughs> you're Never on want to watch your episodes again. <laughs> Never. Never. Um but for me, it was always the really big picture themes, the idea of this is a brutal world. It is a cruel patriarchy where people are just sort of ground down to this is the way the world is. And is there any inkling, any hope that being uh, being kind, having empathy, treating all people as having value regardless of if they're a highborn, regardless if they have some sort of uh, physical issue, mm-hmm. um, regardless if they're born different in any way, can can we possibly get to a, a better world of treating people, treating each other better? Yeah. Like that big picture thing was always so clear to me. Yeah. And then uh, the other part of it being the magic is coming back to this very political realm this like you you could imagine you know a version of westeros that has a cnn (laughs) and msnbc just talking about the politics of the day right like because they're so mired in the little knowable political moves in which house has which asset and resource and which and who has a grudge against who and it's so ground down into the worldly and you're introduced into that world where that first season everything is about the mechanics of that yeah. But then we also know about right at the very beginning. Yeah, but dragons <laughs> are, are coming back. White walkers are coming back. Yeah. There's a three-eyed raven thing in all there of these elements. Giants. There are giants. And there are all these elements of forgotten, disrespected parts of the reality yeah. of that world. And that huge reality makes their little politics seem small and petty. Mm-hmm. Like those stakes I was always interested in. Yeah. Um, let me ask you another question about your investment. Absolutely. Did you ever, while we were watching it a year year to year or when we did our rewatch, were you ever invested in it as a soap opera, for lack of a better term? Um. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think some of the telling, I, I don't know that there is a good term for exactly what it is, but I feel like when you are really invested in, I guess I don't know what the definition of a soup opera is, but. I will say an ongoing narrative, I guess. Yeah, I mean. About relationships and stakes. Absolutely, because when, and I guess that's why I say yes, is because I was very interested in what's going on, what's going to happen next. And the, the stories, both large and small, um, both in terms of like, uh, length and also is this the small story of um it, you know are we gonna find robert baratheon's bastards or is this yeah. the big picture story of will anybody actually believe that the white walkers are coming you know yeah. and i feel like you if being interested and invested in all of those stories is watching it like a soap opera then absolutely yeah i guess part of maybe the distinction now that i'm thinking about it a little bit yeah. more clearly that we make before between soap opera and just long epic narrative is the idea that every single thing you're watching, if you're watching a long epic narrative with an ending, that every single thing you're watching has to have value towards building towards the next piece in the end, that that the journey has to be building the destination. Uh-huh. Whereas a soap opera is just, this is this scene is entertaining and engaging, and maybe it has some thoughts about the human condition, 
but I don't, I won't feel upset if this one specific scene between, you know, Brienne and the Hound matters at the end. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it introduces that. I'm fascinated because it introduces, the distinction introduces the idea of needing every scene to build toward a specific climax. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think a lot of just our feelings culturally about this is there's never been anything like this. Yeah. Where we know it's written by a book about, uh, it's based on a book series that isn't done. So you can just immediately go, if I didn't like these seasons, it's because they're not adapting the books. books. Mm -hmm. But there's, but the show and the books up to the point they're written, I haven't uh, read them personally, but I've talked about them massively. I've read about them. Both the shows and the book were expanding, expanding, expanding in terms of the storytelling. Mm -hmm. Like a soap opera might if it was just like, I want a forever engine to just keep telling stories. And then around the same time that they run out of books, the television show starts to narrow, 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 which is what a narrative naturally does. Yeah. But it also feels different because it used to be every time something happened, well, the Red Wedding caused X, Y, and Z. And as you just get closer, it's like, well, when somebody dies, their story's done because it's not there to propel anything else. It's because the story is winding down. Mm. And it makes... It makes the show feel different, and we have this cultural thing of like it. It makes you question: Is it the quality changing, the style changing because mm-hmm. books aren't being adapted? And I, I'm just fascinated because I think all of these questions and how we personally interpret them affect how we feel about the ending. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was because it was eight seasons. This was an eight season arc. Yeah. It was not eight one season arcs. <laughs> you know, when I say there's no episodes of the weeks, there were no, you know, episode of the or season of the year of the season. Right. It wasn't like right Joffrey was like, the big bad of season four and he died at the end of season four. He didn't die at the yeah, end of the season. And what's yeah. going to happen in season five? No, it's yeah. like it's it's an eight season narrative, like you say. And I, um, yeah, I feel like you you explained very well. <laughs> very well. Very great thoughts that I hadn't really thought about. Yeah. Before, but I. Um, yeah. So did you feel tied up in any of the baggage of just resenting that the narrative was closing, I guess? Oh, no. In fact, if the narrative, if it didn't have a closing, I can say this because it did. So I haven't actually experienced this reality. <laughs> but I feel like I was more invested, especially in the last few seasons, because I was curious where it was going. Yeah. And if it was just like, hey, it's year seven. I don't know. Will we go to year 10? Will we go to year 20? Yeah. I think then it would have been like, okay, this is a big commitment. It's not stopping. I think that is where I would maybe have been less committed to see it through to the end. Not not less committed, but just like I could see a world where I wouldn't feel the need to watch all 20 seasons. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. If on year seven, we didn't know how long it was lasting. Yeah. Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, I like ongoing other you know narratives and universes but this this felt like such a story that if it was just like okay you know you take the bus you go to work you get your groceries you make food you have game of thrones these are all parts of the annual tradition (laughs) you know i I don't know that would be to me not having experienced that that would be weirder and i like it better that it did have a finite yeah ending point and i'm not saying that i think it that it was a soap opera because I think there were lots of things that structurally, narratively, it said, we're giving you this information because this information is going to help inform this one 
complete story for sure. Yeah. So I'm not saying that. But I do just think it's fascinating to uh, be invested in a show, especially when you're watching it with like the world on social media. And the question is usually in the middle of the show, ooh, what will happen next? How will Arya respond to that? What will happen next is a different question than what will happen last. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and I think it's just how we perceive narrative is, is tied into all of our other valid opinions about was it resolved well? Uh, is it different from the books? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I feel like they trained us well for that because it would be what, uh, what will happen to Arya next? And then you see her again three episodes later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> we have to ask that question a lot sometimes. All right. So I want to go into uh, some of the major thematic concepts because I am obsessed with them. So I think one of the major uh, themes is where does power reside? In mm-hmm. particular, season one really frames that of is like Ned's experience ends up being power isn't about bloodline. It's not about information. It's just who has the most swords right now? Yeah. And that's why Ned meets the end that he does. Yep. Um, Varys says multiple times the idea that uh, power resides where, you know, he says men. I'll say where people believe it does. Power yeah, but resides. I think he very specifically believed. I feel like that is one of his defining character traits. Varys? I'm not saying it is right, but Varys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're right. that he. Because yes, he cause very he, specifically that I feel like that is a continuing theme that is important all the way through to the end is that to him it is that the men who decide you are very right because he had the the conversation with Tyrion uh about that he thought that the the that whoever the ruler was would still need the support of the lords of Westeros and mm-hmm. and they were going to support uh a man more yeah, yeah. and I, th- I I don't I'm not saying yeah. that's right yeah and Believe we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about some of the the gender dynamics but I think for me it's always a reminder that you know, this show has such great tension because it has so many wonderful, amazing women characters, but it is a story set in an awful patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while you could watch an episode and forget it. And then something would just come roaring back to remind you, this is a show set in a horrific patriarchy. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, yeah. So lots of different ideas where power resided. And I felt they came on quite strong with Tyrion coming up with the idea that stories is an unkill stories are an unkillable thing. Yeah. So I felt that felt like a strong statement on we think this is where power resides is in I feel like stories was a way to say getting people to believe in someone. So in a way it felt like Tyrion was agreeing with Varys's power is where people think it resides. Mhm. Because yeah. he's like I can I can sell people on how amazing story is mm-hmm. how do you feel about the that general theme of where power resides and where it was left at the end of the show so i am just going to preface this by saying that Tyrion is one of my absolute favorite characters awesome um i like his growth i like his perspective he certainly makes mistakes <laughs> <laughs> um but i i feel like he has grown a lot of wisdom throughout the show and i feel like he is uh, I feel like his idea about the stories, he's been through a lot. And, you know, yeah, swords doesn't necessarily make a good ruler, either to win the throne or to stay on the throne. Money certainly doesn't make, a, I feel like he kind of went through all the options. So I do yeah. like his his perspective. Um, I like it because I feel like that's 
<laughs> it's a way that you get to the um, the democracy that everybody laughed at with Samwell. Yeah. But like swords, you have to wield the sword. Money, you have to pay the people. But if you get the right story and, you know, yes, I know we're telling a big story and all of that. But look at this. We all, many of us, I'm not going to say all of us, many people watched this story. Yeah. Um. So I feel like, matter or not, there is a strong... Uh, statements be made about the strength of story and the other thing that he didn't say but i shall add (laughs) is um the the strength of the knowable and concise tellable story (laughs) uh which i think is i and this is just kind of jumping into something i'm sure we'll talk about later is a lot of people have been like seriously brands is the best story and like yep his is is an interesting story, but other people also had interesting stories. Yes. But his is the one that is known, at least to some people, um, certainly known to Tyrion because Tyrion stopped and spoke with him before the battle with the um, Night King. Yeah. And, and, and he specifically said, you've had a strange journey. I want to hear about it. Yeah. So that I thought that was good, you know, uh, groundwork for what Tyrion says. Absolutely. In the fun finale. Absolutely. And I also feel like it's, it is that, like he gave four bullet points, but yeah. that's what you, you don't have time to spend eight years <laughs> telling <laughs> the story to, you know, the person at the water trough next to you. Um, and so I feel like that's also kind of an unspoken part of uh, why I think it was a good, uh, I, uh, I've just talked it into branding. Oh my gosh. I did not mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, maybe that is the ultimate pun of Game of Ooh. Thrones with Bran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. So the power yeah, of Game of Thrones, it's in Game of Thrones land. It's not branding. It's branding. Oh you, uh... goodness. <laughs> yeah, I'll stick with narrative. There you go. Uh, yeah, I think. How did uh, you feel about it? I liked the idea of stories. I, um, I think that there was a, there's a subtle thing in the finale mm-hmm. and maybe it was subtle on purpose or maybe it's a critique for me that it could have been pulled out more. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's this interesting dance between story and truth mm-hmm. because story could be, Tyrion could be, just be making an argument for, you know, what's you need in politics is spin. Um, everything he lists about Bran is true. It, really happened to him but he's making it exciting he's making it sound like this this noble born kid literally fell from a tower and you know yeah. uh, the i i understand that every that people have um concerns about how we talk about bran being in a wheelchair right um and obviously people had criticisms of uh, Tyrion calling him Bran the Broken. Mm-hmm. I recognize and understand those, but just for the sake of talking about it, I'll, I'll repeat what Tyrion said. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of he has this physical injury that would, in normal Westeros society, make him not important anymore. Mm-hmm. And again, we're talking about Westeros society. Right. Um, so, so it's it is this like it's there's there's no lie in his story about Bran, mm-hmm. but it's pulling out what is meaningful. It is pulling out this idea of. You know, we all have value. And here is somebody who fell, literally fell, was deeply wounded and and came back to be this noble, powerful thing. He says, you know, he knew he couldn't walk, so he learned to fly, you know? Yeah. So all of it is true but inspiring. So it is, it's kind mm-hmm. of spin, but it's based on truth. Yeah. Uh, and then he, he talks about how, and Bran really, that's kind of what we're going to tell the people. 
Mm-hmm. But for us here making the actual decision, he knows, Brand knows the truth. He knows our stories. Yeah. He knows our, you know, weddings and our massacres and our... So I, I almost wish they had pulled that out a little bit more because we know from Brand's journey that he knew a story about his father, Ned, saving his aunt, uh, Liana, mm-hmm. at uh, the Tower of Joy, and that Ned defeated this great swordsman. Oh, yeah. And then he found out, no, Ned's friend, Reed, stabbed him in the back. So you, we got right. to see Bran traveling you know, in his Three-Eyed Raven, see the difference between a story yeah. and the truth. Yeah. And then even, I know I'm pontificating, I'll wrap this up. <laughs> even in the final episode, we've we've got... Tyrion kind of playing fast and loose with the difference between story mm-hmm. and but Bran knows the true truth of our failures and can hopefully avoid those in the future. Mm-hmm. And then we, we have Samuel presenting what the maester wrote and Tyrion's not in it. And it's played as a joke of like, oh, it's it, you, it's funny that Tyrion isn't even mentioned. But to me, that was really like deep and interesting because that's the history that the maester wrote. And if Tyrion isn't in it, it's a fucked up bad history yeah because the battle of blackwater matters to this story Tyrion <laughs> traveling to essos and advising daenerys matters to this story Tyrion being kidnapped yeah Tyrion by being catelyn yes, matters you, to the story yes helping to set off the war Setting of the off five the kings entire thing, yeah. yeah so to me it was like both a joke and also like this is why we need brand's version of story which is actual true history <laughs> versus the you know inaccurate history written by a cranky old maester who thinks they know everything who's in the citadel the whole time who and is... doesn't actually know exactly <laughs> i think it's actually um a call for multiple sources and multiple histories being told from different <laughs> angles uh i also do want to say that i i think part of obviously i i will assume part of why Tyrion chose bran part of why everybody there was a more there was not like oh bran has this great story but he's gonna be another joffrey and he's a horrible person yeah there's also this belief that bran um is wise is measured they're building a version of a new um rulership yeah um you know a new government basically yeah and uh i don't know i was really struck by when um Tyrion asked bran about his wheelchair and Bran spoke about, I, I don't remember, but, you know, Aegon, whichever, built it for, a, anyway. A Targaryen built it for a Targaryen. Yes, yeah. but it was very specific. And it kind of seemed like, oh, Bran has visited a lot of different traveling contraptions, some of which we would now call wheelchairs, some of which we would not probably. Yeah. And he felt like this was the best one. So it kind of gives that sense, at least to me, of, okay, is he going to do a little traveling through history to say this is how we should deal with this or this is the best solution based on what I've seen. And then also we all just have to hope that he can learn to sit through a cabinet meeting (laughs) and actually use words to express his meaning. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think this is Bran. All the business with Bran is one of my, I love the what, I wish a few more of the juicy details because I feel like right now it's up in the air whether it is that Bran is going to use the fact that he can revisit incidents and if a specific conflict comes up let's say the Greyjoys are like what the north is free you know what screw you we're rebelling yeah. is Bran gonna go and visit every rebellion and go what worked and what didn't what is the best way to handle this yeah and make wise decisions knowing the truth not yeah. a story 
the truth? Or is it that he's just kind of checked out because he's the weird three-eyed <laughs> raven? He's he's watching Drogon fly around and eat goats, and yeah. he is rubber stamping decisions made by this high council filled with relatively noble people. Yeah, yeah. If we don't we don't know. We don't it, know. It, it could have been framed either as we knew which one. Yeah. Or it, it could have been framed as to leave it up to a question. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And I feel like he was set up a little bit before he truly became the Three-Eyed Raven to have some wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's other things to talk about. There are lots of other things to talk about, but so much brand to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and uh, I'm going to leave that alone. Anyway. Um, yeah, so for me, the, the whole power idea is I do like that idea of like, yes, violence, yes, money, but also just giving someone a, a an ideal to believe in. Yeah. Even maybe not even a story, but just like, look, um, this person that we used to think uh, was lowly can do wonderful things. We can all do wonderful things. We can march toward the future together, mm-hmm. everybody, and keep people in line in, in Westeros in line it sounds awful but keep people safe and happy and keep conflict from bubbling up with this idea rather than the threat of violence yeah yeah um, all right so let's talk about another theme mm-hmm. can the wheel of cruelty be broken by empathy uh, <laughs> how do you feel I mean Daenerys talked about breaking the wheel a lot and I yeah. liked the ambiguity of what she meant by that Versus what I think Tyrion meant by that. Which I feel like Tyrion meant the cycle of violence. And I think Daenerys always meant the actual system of government. Because mm. even going back to their conversation in... Uh, I can't remember which season it's in, but they're still in Marine, mm-hmm. And Tyrion is talking about all the, the powerful houses of Westeros. And Danny, I'm paraphrasing, but Danny says something along the lines of like Baratheon, Lannister, Stark. They're all just spokes on the wheel. I want to break the wheel. Yeah. So I feel like Tyrion is see, is seeing it as stop this cycle of violence where one of us does something awful and yeah. then the other feels the need to retaliate and it yeah. just keeps going. And I feel like there's a possibility that Daenerys was always saying, I want to shatter the government entirely and I don't want it to look anything like it looked before. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, don't want any of the old lords of Westeros to have power. Mm-hmm. Um, yes what is the question <laughs> I believe that both of those two thought those things uh, okay sorry can the wheel of cruelty be broken by empathy it's an easy straightforward yeah, no, no, question I just got distracted no, by what you were saying and I forgot no, no, I know I'm sorry there, no. there's, to me I'm just this whole thing is so juicy there's so many different uh, uh, threads to follow so no my question is the interpretation of the wheel being a cycle of violence and retaliation how do you feel like the show addressed that theme? Um, I feel like they addressed it a, a few different ways. Um, and uh, specifically because these are the two that you brought up, so they're what I'll respond to. So I feel like with um, with Daenerys's attempt to break the wheel by burning everybody, uh, we got a sense of whether that was always her intent or had become her intent. And with her, especially her speech after she had taken over King's Landing of we're not done. We're going to go free everybody in Winterfell, in Dorne, in all of these other places. 
um, until everybody is her version of free. Which means, I think at that point, which meant bending the knee to her or dying. Yes. Yes. I assume we'll talk more about that later. So I'll leave that there. (laughs) Um, I feel like, honestly, because of how everything ended, Tyrion ending up as the hand does get a chance to have his version of breaking the wheel a little bit. Yeah. Because it's in some of, like we've been talking about, some of the smaller details. It's not, there's many ways in which this is a horrible society. It's a very uh, noble-driven society. It's a very patriarchal society. It's a society where if you are, you know, different, you are in the slums or, you know, at the Night's Watch. Um and so I feel like by... Yeah, bastards and broken things, as Tyrion says it, which again, yes. I understand the language is problematic for some people, and I respect that, but yeah. Yes, yes. But um, but specifically with the very ending, with the council, with um, Tyrion, who says that Jamie is the only person who didn't treat him as a monster. Yeah. So that was how he felt, uh, I think to a certain extent, about himself because of how he was treated by other people, but certainly how he felt he was treated by other people. Yeah. You've got... Um, Lady Serbian, Brian, excuse me. Uh, you know, there is the head of the King's Guard. So you've got these people in places that they would not have been allowed. Yeah. A little bit earlier, and then I do just kind of love that one of Tyrion's first questions is about the sewers, because he has been about the people this whole, for not yeah. the whole time, but for a bunch of the time, and yes, it, it leads to you know funniness and hilarity and all that, but the fact that. One of the ways he wants to break the wheel is by giving people, gosh darn, good, you know, drinking water and not yeah. have cholera in the middle of sanitation. their cities. Like yeah. sanitation, which is like step one to make people actually have good, healthy lives and any chance of, of life. Yeah. And so uh, I'm getting very emphatic about this. <laughs> but I feel like that is a small way, but that is a way of breaking the rule, um, breaking the wheel in a totally different way than probably what people coming at it from the top down as a ruler perspective would think of. Yeah. But I feel like he as the non-ruler, but in a position of power is finding his way to make, to break small wheels. Yeah. I think that's great. I really like that. Uh, And I I really like the, the council being made up of people who would not be allowed to be there uh, Mm -hmm. for the most part in in the past. That, that says a lot to me about the journey that the whole show went on. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed uh, how that theme played out. I still, uh, like I said, agree with the criticism that I would like to have seen a little bit more depth in how Danny's story was told. Yes. But just to touch on it briefly, the reason that that second to last episode worked a little bit more for me than it does for other people is because when I was watching the, those bells ringing and watching Danny wrestle with something that, again, could have been articulated better, all I could think about was she just lost Jorah. She, you know, watched her other dragon become a, a zombie dragon. Then she lost her other dragon. She lost, not only did she lose John's love, now she's afraid John is a threat to her. Mm-hmm. She just, she went through so much loss in mm-hmm. such a compressed amount of time. And that much larger, like, I, I thought my entire life, I thought I my point is to get here. Right. And now the people here hate me. Uh that just all that amount of pain that it to me that moment with her was the question of the show of can someone just inflicted with massive amount of pain stop and not retaliate? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think it was told well. And this is me filling in a lot of what I feel. Yeah. So I'm not saying it was well executed. But to me, it was so much about exactly this of the world has hurt you. Can you not hurt? Can you have, can you take the risk to not hurt back? And specifically from her in that moment, every time she had listened to Tyrion's counsel and tried reaching out to Cersei in multiple ways, multiple times, and she lost, lost things because of it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even list Miss Andy. Of course, that's the most recent one and mm-hmm. the most, uh, I think, affecting to her. Um, but uh, I did not mean that uh, Miss Handy's obviously powerful and important. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, the point to me is that was all about that cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she couldn't get off the wheel. Yeah. And again, could have been much better told. But for me, that's kind of the story that was existing in my mind as I watched it. So you feel like, if I may, yeah, she was trying to get off the wheel. She In coming to Westeros, she was trying to listen to counsel and get off the wheel. But ultimately, her story was that she couldn't get off the wheel. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That, that was what was powerful and resonant to me. Mm-hmm. And again, lots of issues uh, uh, with execution. Yeah. Um, so I feel like the it, the show launched itself into the final episode with this really tragic. Not only could she not get off the wheel, she she lashes out horribly uh, and commits this awful awful act. Um, and then John uh, John Snow does what he does. He kills her, and I think really really kills her in defense of Tyrion and and Danny's own words, convincing him that Sansa's not going to bend the knee, and Danny will kill her for it. Mm-hmm. and Arya too uh, so like to me it feels like there's this one last act of violence of mm-hmm. like okay here we go with the cycle we, uh, you are, you're my queen I love you but you slaughtered people in the city you're gonna slaughter people I love I can't allow that so here's more killing and then again there's sto- executions uh, 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 issues mm-hmm. but Grey Worm and uh, the northern forces all managed to not we don't get to see this <laughs> but they managed to just stop and not slaughter each other and have that whole parlay discussion of yeah. all right we want to execute Tyrion and john you want them back if i execute either of these then we're just going to have a war and we get to see all the characters stop that wheel stop that cycle of retaliation right because it could have been right. again they skipped these scenes but it could have been uh, hey, John, did you just stab and kill Cersei? Well, I stab you. Well, the North runs in and they killed all the Unsullied in it. Like, and yeah. I love that it did. It's, again, not told well, but I love that it got to a point of stopping that cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. And then on the sort of governmental side, it, it was, it. I liked that it was a step forward in progress that the wheel was not broken, but there are a lot kinder spokes. Yeah, on the wheel, yeah. than who was who was on the wheel before. Mm-hmm. At least for now, and we'll yeah. see how long they last. But every <laughs> step is a step. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, I want to talk just briefly about the return of magic. So yeah. I think that's one of the other things that made the show feel very different because it was always like this, like 
John's up there in the north, and Bran's up there in the north dealing with the weird things, and Danny's over in Essos meeting uh, magicians and having dragons, mm-hmm. and then our main characters in King's Landing and, and somewhat in the north and, and in the middle part of the country are all just like, what? And then in the last couple of seasons, everything com- becomes like a much larger fantasy story of ice zombies. Um, and one of the things that makes the show feel different. But do you feel like the show paid off that conflict between political maneuvering and the massive reality of the threat of the white walkers and the power of dragons um you... <laughs> <laughs> that's a Is really this great answer where we make sounds <laughs> i i feel like with dragons yes i feel like that was paid off very well it was great to see you know as they especially when they're fully grown and you're back in westeros and you see some of the people who you know, they've heard stories about dragons. You see them see fully grown dragons for the first time, and you see that awe and that shock. I mean, these are people who dire wolves are not supposed to exist south of the wall. Yeah. You know, so if I have a dragon flying overhead that can burn all of you. <laughs> and unfortunately, it does. Um, and does for many people. And then, you know, the changing of, uh, I'm forgetting the one dragon's name, but the ice dragon. Like, I feel like all of that. Viserius, I believe, yeah. Thank you. Um, I feel like all of that is very well done. I admit that now that we are done with the show, I'm a little conflicted about the White Walkers and the Night King and that whole side of the story. Yeah. Which, when there was the big battle and that was done and everyone's like, seriously, now that threat's just gone? And I was like, oh, I... We just need to get see what's on the throne. I was like very on board with, yes, let's see what happens. In my personal headcanon, there is still more element in what our characters are dealing with in their lives of the reality moving forward now that these TV crews have left them alone. (laughs) (laughs) That they are dealing with magic that is still related to them. You know, not necessarily White Walkers because the Night King is dead. And we see that the White King was actually a creation of the Children of the Forest and right children yeah. of the forest but i feel like okay but we still have the children of the forest and i assume they're still around and we still have magic with them and we still have other aspects of that magic that i i am yeah. a little conflicted about um i think the magic of the white walkers and also since uh, especially in later seasons i have been told that many people are like yes this is totally a thing about climate change it's like all it takes is one good blow yeah oh wouldn't that be nice yeah <laughs> so i feel like as an allegory uh it doesn't work but i wish it did um but so i'm i'm torn about the white walkers yeah i absolutely love Arya taking out oh, the night king right and, and fa- one of my favorite moments of the entire show that and i talk about building to something yeah where it was both the, a surprise and made the most sense in the world at the same absolutely time absolutely loved yeah. it so i'm not discounting that at all i'm just trying to step back and take the ten thousand foot view i'm yeah. being above the dragons right <laughs> you're now. above the dragons even <laughs> yeah i agree there was a part of me that made that wanted it to be like so overwhelming that it almost erased the map quite like there's a part of me that expected that battle to be that will they run from winterfell and eventually mm-hmm. the white walkers get all the way south and eventually they defeat them when they're down in king's landing and it's almost like the few stragglers alive in the shattered remnants of the red keep that have been destroyed by that battle Mm -hmm. and then it's the like now that we've 
faced this absolutely existential crisis. How does that reframe how we're thinking about these political shenanigans? Yeah, and I and I do I liked the battle. <clears throat> I liked that it finished yeah. that night. I don't wish that it had gone on longer. I like that we got to get back to the the ultimate original battle. I know we started with going north of the wall and all that, yeah. but the question who will end up on the throne? I I like that. I just when you since you asked how I felt about the magic of the White yeah. Walkers, I'm conflicted. Absolutely, yeah, and I don't I I don't. I like to accept things as they are, and for me, it's fun to pontificate. Like, what would have it looked like if that? Yeah. Uh, but I'm not the type to sign a petition. Yes, uh, me the, either. The, the storytelling is a storytelling, and you can criticize it or love it or whatever, mm-hmm. or somewhere in between. Um, yeah, for me, I I agree that there's something that was a, a little, and this might just be threads closing, mm-hmm. a narrative ending. Mm-hmm. I did, I loved Arya stabbing the Night King, and I did like the sensation in that second to last episode with Drogon that dragons are insanely powerful mm-hmm. and Danny trying to be like, I, I I will take what's mine with fire and blood, but I'm listening to counsel and I'm trying to be gentle, <laughs> as gentle as you can be while taking what's mine with fire and blood. I'm trying. <laughs> I liked seeing that this is what a dragon is when it's unleashed. Yeah. At its full power, yeah. full potential. And that, to me, made me feel a little bit better about the story of magic. Not just the story of the White Walkers, but the story of magical things coming back. Mm-hmm. Because then it was, the story up north was the entire world almost ended because of the dead. Yeah. And down south, it's King's Landing was almost entirely destroyed because one dragon. dragon. No, that's a really good point. And when you think about it, when I think about the battle with the White Walkers and, you know, whether this one in the last season or previous. The great hard home episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just the the never ending onslaught of White Walkers and the reality that, of how quickly people who have been killed on the battlefield raise up and join that army. Yeah. That it is that feeling of utter hopelessness that, OK, we've almost won. Now the White King got everybody to stand up. The Night and King, we are... not the White King. <laughs> Night King. Sorry, I was not enunciating. The oh, okay. Night King. I thought you said the White King, oh, which is I, a I, much I, more upsetting yes, name. Yes, no, yeah. no. The Night King um, with the White Walkers, which is spelled differently, um, I believe. The White Walk. it's so confusing. I the, did say White King, goodness. The White Walkers no is, more whiskey is normal. Me. And then the Whites are the W-I-G-H-T. Yes, that's the one Ugh. that I, the White Ugh. Walkers. Yeah. Jeez, anyway. George R. R. Martin. Point being, <laughs> overwhelming. So yeah, so the magic of that, the magic of the ice zombies. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely overwhelming. And so in that uh, instance, magic works. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, all right, so I do want to talk about Danny. Yes. And, uh, well, no, I'll just, I just want to ask your feelings on Danny because I kind of already uh, elucidated mine. Yeah. Uh, what are yours? Uh, I'm conflicted. I, I'm I'm very torn. This is one of the things I think I've had um, felt the most conflicted about with the ending. Yeah. Um, that I I was uh, did not expect what, her to burn the entire city. Yeah. And to see that she was burning children, running for safety, and just burn them anyway. Or maybe she can't see from that distance. Who knows? Um, yeah, because we didn't really see her perspective. Didn't see her sp- perspective. Um, and whether she you was heard her planning, talk about it, but we didn't see it. Yeah, and whether she was planning this the whole time, or whether it was just in a moment of, I'm here in King's Landing. These 
people won't love me. Let me give them fear. I'm, she looks, has that moment of looking at the red keep. And if it's that, like, this is where everything was taken from me. This is where my father was killed. The people there have been trying to kill me my entire life. I'm just so full of rage. And I don't mean that as a, um, you know, females get rageful. That's not at no, all. No, it's what a I mean. I just human it reaction a, to losing everything you love. Yes. And a, yeah. A human reaction and a very specific, that character. Yeah. Um, and, her and, reaction. And that she looks at Cersei and Cersei personally has surprised her with yeah. in, in taking things she loves. So there's that also that like calculation of like, if I, if I trust that Cersei is going to uh, surrender, is she going to stab me in the back? Is she going to kill Drogon in some yeah. way that I'm not seeing if I trust her for half a second to, to surrender? Oh, of course she is. Yeah. N- anybody who has met Cersei <laughs> will say, of course she is. Yeah. Even Tyrion. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, but I, I do feel like there, I, maybe this is just me. Maybe it's the historian in me. I feel yeah. like she looks at the castle and feels the weight of her entire life and being, you know, her family being kicked out of there. Yeah. Her, um, her father being slaughtered there. And yeah. yeah. But I, but I, I wanted there to be a little bit more. And maybe this, and this, I think this is part of the story is that you don't get to see exactly why she did what she did. Yeah. But for myself personally, as a viewer, to come to terms with it and to be okay with it, I wanted more of like, but why? But you burned everybody. Yeah. Like, yes, I hear you saying they were free, but really mm, not going to say they were free. That's where they were born. Most of them probably weren't able to move. Yeah. You know, it's one thing with the Kingsguard. It's a different thing with, you know, the people in Flea Bottom. Yeah. Nobody's going up to a four-year-old in King's Landing and going, would you like to uh, follow Cersei or move? Like, Yeah, yeah. exactly. And if they're like, dragon, they'd probably go, cool, dragon. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, So I... I don't disagree with how how it um, ended, but I agree with kind of what you have said earlier and many other people have said. And for my own personal thoughts, I feel like the execution of showing where she ended, mm-hmm. how she got there, or maybe part of her arc the entire time. And, and maybe it's something that I was blindly believing before, but I feel like I was so surprised. Yeah. And so filled with shock. So that they did well (laughs) um but also you know disappointed yeah and i didn't i didn't want that and i think but then her speech that she gave the final one about this is what does kind of make i'm sorry i'm not making no no no, uh, you're working through your your feelings but um but you know she did this she doesn't seem to have any sense of that uh regret Mm -hmm. and in fact goes on to say we're we're not done. We're gonna keep doing this. And the first place she mentions is Winterfell, Winterfell where and, she knows she is opposed by Sansa. Yeah, yeah. But also, it's so like it's yes, she's opposed by Sansa. It's where Jon's from. But also, she's been there. I mean, maybe there are people there that are oppressed. But it's I'm just gonna make an uneducated guess. Yeah, it's not the same as Slavers Bay, right? Uh, Sansa that we have seen does not have slaves. And not that you only want to free slaves, but you, if you're trying to free people, I am of the opinion that burning people is not freeing them unless you're Melisandre and you believe that burning them is sending them to the Lord of Light. <laughs> and even that, we're but not cool. But she died. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, I don't have necessarily problems with where it went, but I have some concern, some 
I feel like the execution of it could be yeah. a little better. So there, that's the concise version. I think that's great. Um, so she has the logic to John in the in their scene uh, before he stabs her. That it's kind it's kind of Cersei's fault because Cersei was using the children as a shield. Okay, can and, we jump right in on that one? Sorry. Well, I in in literally one sentence and the idea that uh, she thought that. Uh, that Daenerys's mercy would be her weakness, so she had to not let that be a weakness. Yes. Tell, tell me your thoughts. I have been mad at this train <laughs> of logic for so long. Okay. Okay. And by for so long, like the three weeks or whatever since she brought it up. Uh, there's a couple so, days. This was in the finale. No, but she brought it up um like three episodes ago when um or four episodes. Well, you know, you're right. She it, did it when they were trying earlier, to decide what to do. Yep. Yeah. Be, I think it was um right before the the Night King battle. Yeah. Because Cersei opened up the the yes. Red Keep area, brought people in. Clearly, to keep that area, that walled-in area, um, give people protection. Yeah, but also thinking that then Daenerys won't burn the Red Keep. Yeah, and if all she had burned was the Red Keep, and the unfortunate people who were there. Yeah, a hundred percent. I am with Daenerys on saying Cersei was thinking this would be our mercy to get to her. We did have to attack this, and I'm saying hundred percent in this world. I'm not saying this right, is right, like right. real life battle tactics. Absolutely tactics. But I feel like, yes, absolutely. But you know what? The people by the front gate who were just trying to run out the gate to safety had nothing to do with Cersei. And I just, that is where, that honestly, that is where Daenerys loses me. It yeah. is her unwillingness to see that it is not all the same thing. Right. The cycle of rage, Cersei specifically took people from me. She cut my best friend's head off in front of me for mm-hmm. Basically, no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, when I was offering her peace, that you could see that, like, okay, I'm going to do something awful. I'm going to burn children because I can't get past the rage of this woman has to die. And if I give her any quarter, she will surprise me and she will take something else I love. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that all would have tracked. Yeah. And then I feel like there is this extra step of, to me, all of that logic, but I have to show her and the whole world that they cannot question me because I will just destroy anything you put in front of me as a shield. I will tear down. Yeah. And and you, you're trying to find my weakness. I don't have a weakness. I'm going to show you. Like I, I can start to find a logic, but it is this emotional leap that without spending more time of getting her there doesn't. Yeah. It it yeah, and I think partly is I feel like I do feel like it is a change from where she was earlier. Yes, where she was willing and, to do really really violent things, crucifying hundreds of people. Yeah, in retaliation. Yeah. Um, but yes, as but the show she wasn't tries crucifying to, the children, children. of marine. You, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can ar- so. you, you can argue what happens to the rest, the children of those noble people who are now crucified. That's was probably not a great gift to the children of those <laughs> noblemen that she True. crucified. You can go into all sorts of different uh, yes. discussions. I think for me, this is the one thing I'll say about Danny because I've said a lot. I uh, maybe this is the intent. I really didn't like them reintroducing from Varys the idea that when a Targaryen is born, a coin is flipped. Mm, yeah. Because to me, what I've always loved about Game of Thrones is is um, 
even when a character does something awful, like Cersei, you can sometimes say, well, if I went through what Cersei did, I can understand why she would do that. And it, it's it's very fascinating because they're not heroes. They're characters doing awful things to one another. Um, but we've gotten used to that of like understanding like, okay, well, if you were captured and tortured and did the walk of shame, mm-hmm. you might do something is awful is blowing up the Sept of Baylor and killing all those innocent people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the show from that perspective of understanding on a human level why people choose to do awful things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like injecting the possibility that Daenerys has some crazy in her and the tragedy she went through set that off. That's that's to me is just not interesting. That's like saying like she has a virus. <laughs> she has a, a killing virus and she caught a cold that day. That's not interesting to me. Yeah. The, hey, I keep trying to say, look, I'm going to take the throne and I'd like to do it as, as in as peaceful a way as possible. Every time I try to be peaceful, you take something else from me. So I'm all out of peace. That's interesting to me then because yeah. it's human. And I think it's so weird because one cannot put themselves in the place of, you know, uh, the child of a dynasty who was taken to another continent and raised in a really horrific manner, but now you have all the power in the world. You're riding a dragon. You, it's hard to put yourself in that mind state. <laughs> Wait, didn't I tell you about yesterday, <laughs> sweetie? <laughs> but it's easy for us to put uh, in the state of, I've tried to do something the kind way several times, and every time I do it, a part of my soul is ripped out. And that that that's why I just kind of, I wanted that story yeah because it because as awful as it is you can still find the humanity in it yeah (laughs) do do you not i i just i i think maybe it is just i mean in terms of in terms of her as a character yes i want to see a little bit more about uh how she got there in terms of um Making myself sound so good, but in terms of like trying to put myself, I just it, yeah, it's not well. And let, let me be very careful. I don't mean you can see the humanity and yep, Danny did the right thing by murdering half the city. Th- th- there's no way that would ever be you know okay okay or relatable. I just mean from the you can understand why the person is doing it. Not mm-hmm. that it is ap- not that it is okay in any way. Not that it is redeemable. Not that it can be forgiven. You just understand why, and that the person did it for a emotional human reason, not because their crazy switch got flipped. Yeah, no, I I am a hundred percent. Yeah, you that's that what that I'm trying to the say. The adding of that line of dialogue feels um, it, that honestly, with like we've talked, we started at the beginning with talking about um, narrative and you know the long arc and all that. I feel like that is one of the things that undermines the long-term arcs more than most, yeah. more than anything else I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. And because I, they have this nice long arc of who she is. And then by having that line in there, it undercuts it. And yeah. it says you've had this whole arc, but who knows? She could clip, flip at any time, which I don't feel like is what I honestly, I don't feel like that's what she yeah. did. And I don't feel like that's what they showed. And I feel like what they did build up is that she has the potential to have kind of a dark side and be a conqueror and like I'll take what's mine through blood and fire yeah. as she says yeah absolutely and she does yes they are 
awful men of power who've done awful things, but she slaughters people and she's fine with it. Yeah. As Arya so, says, I know a killer when I see one. Exactly. And Arya slaughters people. They're yep. bad people, but she slaughters them. Um, so I feel like they did build up the, that, the story that I'm thinking about of, I have the potential to do something that is clearly over the line. Can I find a way to not cross that line? Yeah. And I, I just wanted that to, to have, feel that sort of almost tragedy, almost that like Shakespearean tragedy of like, you were so close to not crossing that line and then you did. And as soon as you cross that line, it's not one you can come back from. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, that, all right. I, I hear you and I agree with that point. The last 15 minutes were my <laughs> just one quick thing I was going to say about Danny. Oh, I, I uh, bought it on. All right. So uh, I am making the executive decision as we're uh, working on this podcast that uh, I was going to do our normal, like, how obsessed are you questions and that. We're just going to talk about Game of Thrones a little bit more because clearly we're obsessed. Uh, so wrap up with a, a few more questions. This has been this has been driving the Internet crazy. Do you think that Drogon burned the Iron Throne because he hates chairs? um so my first question because i'm not a scientist is all the people who know that dragon fire isn't hot enough to melt the throne (laughs) i would like to know how you got your information and where you go visit dragons yeah um i i mean so i have a theory about this yeah tell me about your drogon burning the iron throne theory we see that drogon has and you know, that Danny and her dragons have this amazing connection between each other. Mm-hmm. Or be, yeah. And I feel like the first burst of fire that comes out of his mouth in that general direction that hits the throne, that hits the walls, is just anger leashing out. Yeah. But I feel like Drogon, as an intuitive creature with a great connection to his mother, has some sense of like, this is the thing that took her that took my mother from me basically yeah um or this is the thing that was driving her because she kept going after this thing she is gone and so i feel like he burned it out of rage that that is the thing that took his mother away from him yeah side theory maybe dragons have a thing where they don't like things that other dragons have created and since that was created by <laughs> dragon fire maybe he's like ah, i hate other dragons artistic creations <laughs> but uh, i'm gonna stick with my first theory because i died it works for me i like both your theories i like that a dragon <laughs> walks in just like at a craft fair like is like this was made by another dragon fuck this yeah, yeah i like I'm that one gonna, oops trip yeah. over it I understand people's criticism that it feels like uh, Drogon has a better command of uh, a theme and irony than some of the other characters. But to me, it does actually work in the level that you're describing is, yeah, dragons clearly do work in a magical way where they sense what's going on with Daenerys. Mm -hmm. They sense Drogon senses when she's in trouble in the pits, fighting pits of Marine and comes for her. Mm -hmm. He senses that she is in trauma and dying and dead. Mm -hmm. Um, he understands when she means Dracarys is just burn one guy, and when Dracarys means burn every motherfucker you see, yeah. like he has a connection to her. And we have that. I I do like in that scene that she never sits in the throne; that she touches it with that great mm-hmm. longing. And you know, and this might be kind of some of the the Star Wars lore in me, but I like the idea that that the Iron Throne, made by a dragon, fought over by all these other people, is kind of radiating something. Mm-hmm. that a dragon can sense that exactly what you said, but you know, I'm making up some kind of more magical headcanon for it. <laughs> Go for it. That just that, that you, that you can sense ev- like all of the deeds that have sunk into this, into this 
fucking chair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so we've talked a, a, a lot about things we've liked. We've wrestled with things that we don't think were executed well. Uh-huh. But I do want to specifically ask you, in the whole final arc, yes. if there are moments that you loved. Yes. Sansa is ruler of the North. Queen in the North. I, yeah, I started chanting Queen in the North before the people in the North did. <laughs> I was so happy. Yes. No, yeah. I feel like that is... Uh, the the north becoming its own thing you know as we talked about problematic because next you know yara's gonna want the iron islands to be their own thing and dorn and whatever but that's for brand to deal with for our story i love that the north is separate i love that it's just an easy sansa turns to her brother and says i love you even with you one of their own they're not gonna bend the knee yep because it's not saying the Starks are on the throne. It's saying Bran is on the throne. Yep. And just exactly. Saying, and also because I um I I feel like Sansa has so shown herself to be such a great ruler. Yeah. And I don't think she wants to be queen of the Seven Kingdoms. Maybe she does. Who knows? But I feel like the North that radiates from her so well, and she understands it, and they understand her. And so that, love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my favorite moment of, there's lots of things I like, but I think one of my favorite moments that just hits, hits me on a deep emotional level is not only uh, Brienne being knighted by Jamie. Yes. But specifically that smile. Yeah. I mean, the whole emotional arc she goes through where she's like, I'm not sure about this. This can't really be happening. Is anybody making fun of me? Is this, and then accepting it as real. And then just that that smile of just like, I did it. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. I, I made it is yeah. just so pure and so lovely and, and wonderful. Yeah, it is. And I, we know, we know that by the time we've gotten to that small council saying, Podrick has already written in the Book of Nights, Sir Brienne of Tarth. Like, we know. Yeah, yeah, that is such a great idea. And in fact... I want to take a moment to talk about that in particular. Yeah. So uh, Brienne mm-hmm. and her arc in general, specifically the I liked her writing in Jamie's story because it had made such a big deal out of it. That's what they uh, bonded about in that early season uh, where he was where he told her, like, from his perspective, the truth of him killing the Mad King mm-hmm. that he was doing it to save everyone and that he knew it would cost him all of his honor for the rest of his life. Right. Right. So yeah. like they, and that's the last thing written about him. Mm-hmm. And that's just who he is now. Yeah. But he did it. Uh, so there was a lot about that, that I liked and I felt like it put a, it made Brienne look at his actions and decide for herself what she thought the story was or what she, you know, what she wanted the story of Jamie to be, mm-hmm. which dovetails with all of the, you know, the story is what matters. Mm. So like all that great. But for me, this was a pitch perfect example of the show being uh, tone deaf about representation uh, with women. And mm-hmm. uh, I know there are many strong opinions about this. I'm going to ask your opinion. I'm just going to throw out my opinion real quick. Yeah. I choose tone deaf because it's moments like this where what actually happens with Brienne, I think, is very fitting of the show, the themes, the characters, great. But it is utterly tone deaf to me to leave out exactly what you just described, that she is, uh, uh, we assume, in charge of the Kingsguard. Mm-hmm. 
why would we not want to see her page? Right. And as somebody else uh, pointed out among the many scenes uh, that could have maybe been in this final episode, somebody was like, I would have loved the scene where Brienne and Sansa agreed to separate since Brienne had vowed to protect Sansa. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that would have been, we could have, my assumption is Sansa wants to rule the North. Yeah. Uh, that that that's maybe even her first choice over ruling all of Westeros because she's just been about the North wants to be separate. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a great place to, to even, you know, reaffirm. Again, this is about representation of like, yes, it would be great if, if that is the truth of the story mm-hmm. that Sansa doesn't even want the Iron Throne. Not that there's an Iron Throne anymore, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, but that she wants a North. So to me, it's just like it, it's these... Uh, tone deaf moments of like, wouldn't you want that? Yes. So I'm 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 off my soapbox. <laughs> what are your feelings about um about representation of women? Uh, <laughs> uh it's a bit you know real real simple question. You know, real quick. Yeah. Uh, no. No. Take no, your time. No. Um. Well, for one, I'm gonna say I did have not heard people. I I honestly have not been spending a lot of time looking at what people have been saying because I just needed to both deal with it and also let my brain not deal with it for a little yeah. bit. Um, but I love that. And yes, I want that scene. Oh my gosh, that scene should have been there. Yeah. Because, and honestly, that's, I would have throughout this final season, and I don't remember if it also is last season as well, taken more, um, interactions between Brienne and Sansa in general. Yeah. I feel like that is a pairing that it was like, oh, okay, I'm here. Okay. I accept you now. And now that is just accepted. Yeah. And I would have loved to have seen some like discussions of state or, you know, or even like uh, rations or I just would have loved to see more interaction between the two of them in general. Yeah. Or like Brienne asking Sansa before the the, the battle uh, with the White Walkers of, do you want me to stand by you because I'm committed to protect you? Yeah. Or do you want me out and having Sansa and being like, no, I want you out there fighting. Yeah. I want you out there being you. Like scenes like that would have been. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, and yes, I absolutely want that scene between Sansa and um, Brienne at the end, deciding to part ways. Yeah. Um, For Brienne to, in a sense, break her oath to Catelyn. Yeah. To go on to somewhere else, you know, with permission, one would assume. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. She has a page in the book. I am not concerned about that, but it would be honestly what I would love is if she had turned it and had seen that Podrick had already written it in there. Yeah, that would have been that would have been beautiful. Yeah. Um, I personally I know a lot of people do have problems with what she wrote about Jamie. I personally don't because I feel like it is the the story of their journey together, which is, as you said, kind of they're unveiling each other, unveiling themselves their real selves to each other yeah, and their growth together along the way, um, both independently and also together. Yeah. Um, so I, I would have liked to have seen, we don't know for sure if she is the first female knight, but we can guess that she probably is. Yeah. Um, and, or at least the first openly acknowledged yeah. female knight. And so I would have loved if she had included that in that Jamie yeah. knighted, the first known female knight. Yeah. I, that's, that would have been powerful too. That I was hoping, like, as we were watching, it was like, yes. He, you know, 
write that in there, write that in there. And so that I really wish was in there. Yeah. Um, but overall, stepping back just from um, Brian, I mean, I think I think like any show, it's got it's good parts and it's bad parts and it's um, or it's not even bad parts. It's less good parts. Um, <laughs> I like some of the diversity of what women can be. Yeah. Um, of what people can be. Um, but specifically, since we are talking about women, uh, certainly, I mean, like, I feel like with Arya is not to, you know, you, you should have multiple characters and I feel like they do, but I feel like Arya is a great example where she knows who she is. And so that representation of she does not have to be a lady. Yeah. Is great. Yeah. Um, it is wonderful that some of the, uh, sex position of the earlier scenes <laughs> goes away toward the later scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah anyway yeah i think i have complicated thoughts and those are the ones that i can get out right now okay cool uh yeah so i think i agree with what you're saying is in particular that a a great thing is that it did give us a lot of uh, women characters being truly very different characters Mm -hmm. and Arya's great arc of I, this is what I've always wanted to be from Bran can't shoot a bow, but I can mm-hmm. from right away at the beginning to meeting Brienne and her just being like, this is what I want. This is what I want. I fight, I fight, I fight for it. And I get it. Yeah. And like Sansa and having, Sansa, I love Sansa's arc. Right. Um, because she does start with that kind of much younger. Oh, I want to go to the pretty castle. I want to <laughs> be the pretty queen. Yeah. She sees what that is. She has horrible experiences and not, not because of the experiences, but they are a part of what her experience of life has been. And so who we see at the end is this very strong character. And she's always been strong, but we see her fully owning it, fully accepting herself, fully showing everybody who she is and taking no nonsense yeah. from anybody. This is who she is. This is what she's capable of. Don't cross her. And not in a mean way, but if you cross her, you you're kind of stupid. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love that arc of, um, I, I think that we were talking about this without microphones in front of our faces and you <laughs> said this, but um, from her idea of what she thought she wanted to be as queen. Yeah. You know, kind of her childish view of what she wanted as queen to her reality of what being queen actually is and really actually being queen. Yeah. And I I love that that's where she ended up because I feel like she is such a wonderful character. Yeah, and that idea that you would need to go somewhere else to be a queen. Yeah. And I like that she ends up being the queen in the north in yep. her home. Mm-hmm. It, you know, uh, yeah, and I, I think the way you described it is so great. So she had a fantasy version of what being royal meant mm-hmm. when she was young, which isn't her fault. She was probably raised on it mm-hmm. uh, and raised to be like, you're going to be a lady and you're going to be, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a queen someday. Mm-hmm. Um and she rejects that fantasy for reality. Yeah. You know, and that, and I think that's where so much of her strength comes from is just that idea of, yep, I don't ever want my, anybody to sell me any BS. Yeah. I know the real world and I deal with the real world. Yep. Yeah. And, yep. and speaking of what we talked about early on about where does power reside, um, I think in real life sometimes just people emanate power and it was so cool to see that very funny scene where uh edmund tully is going on like just (laughs) such a just everything that's been shit just like he's 
BS politician. He did not serve well in either of the wars he's proudly on about. And just her power of just like, she doesn't technically have any specific, other than she's kind of been leading the North. Like, you could make an argument for legitimate power. But my point is, it feels like there's just power in her. Where when she says, sit down, uncle, he doesn't question because... No. Yeah. I mean, nobody there questions. Yeah. Like she is clearly the one with power in that situation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. She is the one with power. And um, obviously, to get to where the story ended, we needed to get to Tyrion saying what he thought for who should be the ruler. Um, I think it would have been interesting if they had asked a few other people, such as Sansa, currently ruling the North, what she thought. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Yep. And I, I really wrestle with this is a show that is showing an awful patriarchy stumbling forward. Yeah. And, and I think and, absolutely. And, yeah. and I think that's that not to excuse term. any bad choices. They're no, just wanna... no, no. Agreed. But it is um, steps are steps. Yeah. And even within steps, you know, you get. um. Good rulers and people who are able to accept steps toward change and toward less um, ridiculous boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I do, uh, on the positive side, celebrate like these are some of my favorite uh, women characters and the diversity of them. And mm-hmm. even even not being fully on board with how uh, Daenerys' story was, was uh, achieved. Yeah. I, I like the diversity of women can be anything. Look at all the different kinds of characters they played from the complexity of Cersei to the ultimate arc of Daenerys as a conqueror. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, if you don't like that, totally cool. But for my point being like, we can have all of these different kinds of characters. Absolutely. And, you know, the, having them find their identity and their strength and even down to like Gilly and like, you know. Absolutely. And like Which the little girl who didn't want to be in the uh, crypt because she wanted to fight. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. To the, um, I'm blanking on her first name, the Sand. Um, uh, Illyria? Yes. No. Uh, um, of the, the Sand. Uh, the Sand Snakes? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. To, yeah, just do all of them, right? I yes, mean, yes, Illyria. Sorry. Illyria. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I apologize. Who the show also ignored, who is yes. chained up she's, somewhere she's in the She's still in the basement keep. somewhere. <laughs> so she, she, might she got be, free. She might be fine. <laughs> she might be crushed. <laughs> Awful. Uh this is totally random. I'm just going to throw this out there yeah. to share headcanon. Yeah. Because we talked about this after the show. So, uh, John murders Danny, mm-hmm. kills Danny. Drogon uh, burns the chair and flies away. Mm-hmm. And then we get the a while later. And uh, people have been like, why on earth did Grey Worm not kill John? Exactly. And my theory, my headcanon is, Ooh, yeah, uh, is Davos. Oh, yes. Because we already had that scene earlier in the episode where Davos was kind of mediating between John and Grey Worm and making sure it didn't escalate to violence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like the idea that he somehow is like, wait, okay, great. Put him in a cell and we'll figure this out all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's yeah. a little no. Davos headcanon for yes. you. Onion yes. Knight to the rescue, at least in my mind, I might be full of hooey. All right. Uh, Can I share one other just small scene I wish had been in the final? <laughs> Please. Um, the conversation between Sansa and Arya about oh. what Arya's going to do. About Arya's choice? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
I just, so Arya just kind of surprises she her it. during John's goodbye. Yeah, I guess that Sansa was doesn't the seem to know because I think Sansa target. herself asks, "What? Do, what do you mean?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, that still would have been awesome because they had some really great scenes when they were coming together and, mm-hmm. and figuring out how they had grown. Yeah, and changed, and how they came together on the Littlefinger thing and got rid of him, and were kind of in unison mm-hmm. from there on. Would have been great. Yeah, yeah. All right. So okay. some triumphs and some uh, missteps to failures, uh, depending on your mileage mm-hmm. for the representation. I think for me, uh, last thing I want to say about it is just because this is such a huge discussion because they're going on to Star Wars. Is just I I hope that as creators they can listen. And try to make realize that when they're writing on certain subjects, the the intent needs to be clear, or people will add yeah. what they think you're saying. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Anyway, not that they're going to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so we will move on to uh, some final thoughts. We got derailed in talking about other things that we kind of wished were there. Any other favorite moments? Oh, mm. Mm. yes, but I feel like I've caught most of the. Okay, big cool, ones. cool, yeah. cool, cool. Um, I want to touch very briefly on this. It was uh, for me. I was hard to watch the show at this point with the fever pitch of expectations and uh, community, good and bad. Uh, you know, we the intensity of the interest in Game of Thrones. We mm-hmm. went to Trader Joe's on. Friday night before the Sunday premiere, mm-hmm. and our cashier wanted to hear our theories on who would be on the throne yes and she wanted it she was like i never i just watch television on my computer i have a television i might hook it up like <laughs> and uh, i did a storytelling show where i i said jokingly at a rehearsal for a storytelling show like well we're all done with the rehearsal well we could go or we could talk about game of thrones more and at like late at night people were like yes we need to talk about game of thrones more <laughs> instead of being done so it was just so everywhere was it a positive experience for you to have this amount of community or was the intensity sometimes quite legitimately being upset about parts of the show was it all just too much um so i do not work with a lot of people who watch the show okay um and I've been working a lot, so mainly I talk to them. And I talk to you <laughs> lately, so I actually haven't had that many conversations about it. The fever pitch of the um, kind of online conversations, especially Twitter, and I kind of pop on and pop off of Twitter after last week, after the seventh, uh, fifth episode. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't deal with it. I yeah. basically was like, okay, I'll I'll deal with you know our actual burning world. And not the <laughs> burning world of Game of Thrones because I just can't take that. Yeah. Uh, not that I can take ours either, but um, that was my response. Is I was like, okay, put that in a little box, put it over there. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go watch this for myself and then maybe I'll reopen the box and have the conversations. Got it. You were the uh, gif of Donald Glover from Community where he opens the door, sees that the apartment is on fire, and then just shuts the door and leaves. Pretty much. <laughs> Understandably so. Yeah. I mean, if there were a fire and I had a fire extinguisher or I were a you know, fire yes. personnel, I would put out the fire. Let's oh, just be clear. You're a historic house manager. <laughs> you're good at dealing with like, putting out uh, metaphorical and literal fires. If yes. I actually had like a fire 
fire extinguisher for the fires on Twitter. Yeah. I would I would use it responsibly. <laughs> well, but. then people need to talk to you about your power level because, my <laughs> God, the power level. But yeah. I do not. It was striking to me. I love community. I love the, actually that Trader the cashier at Trader Joe's wanted to talk that. to us about Game of Thrones. I, I love the lo- casual interactions. Yeah, yeah. And I and I really love the healthy debate. Like, I really like the show. And like I said, I'm happy with what happened, but I've got issues with how. And I love having those discussions because then to me, the show, flawed or not, becomes a portal to other ideas, to discussions. It opens a door. I like fan discussions that open doors. Mm-hmm. And then you can understand why somebody feels the way they do like what what baggage did you bring what did you expect what did you want what mm-hmm. did you notice that i never would have yeah i love all of those things i don't like the fan discussion that closes the door and yeah. that to me is about the anger of they're incompetent idiots and they suck like that's a closed door conversation yes to me and when i saw those i closed the door yeah <laughs> but why yes, but you I was feel very... they made bad mistakes I'm intrigued by. Yes. They suck and should be ashamed to me is just not, I understand why people might feel that way, but it's not helpful or, or engaging. Yeah. Yes. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm just going to say I did. There are a few people that I'm like, I'm curious what they think about this. So I would go, you know, I, there are a few people I did seem to be like, oh, they're not going to be closed door conversationalists. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. But yes, I hear you about the, the bigger picture of. Is it a conversation about a conversation or is it, I didn't like what happened. It's not done yet, but clearly the creators who aren't even the original creators need to be thrown off of this project. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, definitely. That has changed TV forever. Yeah. And uh, there's a really great conversation. There's that petition to redo season eight, which, you know, we've seen things like that with Star Wars. and There's a lot of great discussion about that. So hopefully... Uh, as long as discussion is happening, as long as it's discussion instead of just uh, I am angry and that is the truth <laughs> and and period. Yeah. That, that to me is like, I mean, I kind of I made the joke uh, on social media about uh, to me, the show is about that cycle of anger and retaliation. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to get off that wheel. And that means, sure, I'll listen to your opinion. Will you listen to my opinion? Great. I can try to understand where you're coming from. You can understand where I am. But just like. Rah! is just uh, fire and blood <laughs> on yeah. the internet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's it's good to have conversations. It's nice to hear what other people's headcanons are or the scenes that they wish would be there because then you might hear things that you're like, I never would have thought of that. Or things that, you know, maybe I loved. Somebody was like, that was the most boring scene ever. And I'm <laughs> like, that was my favorite ever. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, and it's probably also, uh, you know, who knows how much the people behind the scenes watch or listen but it's also interesting to see as ongoing creators what messages get across and what don't not that we all get the same messages when we watch the same things clearly we don't but i think it's interesting to see um what is effective and what isn't that's a great way to to say what i was struggling to say about some of the representation issues of you i think as an artist you want your message to be clear even if your message is ambiguity, mm-hmm. you wanted to be clear that your message was ambiguity. And I do think there were moments in this season and all of Game of Thrones where I think something that sounds horrible was communicated. I don't think that was in their intent, but it's on them to make sure 
that their artistic intent and message is clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to mention one other thing I like, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, So I did, I've always liked that Game of Thrones has so much gray areas and it's, it's not about heroes and villains. It's Mm -hmm. about people with flaws and can they overcome them? Mm -hmm. Uh, I really liked that brief exchange between John and Tyrion where John asks if uh, killing Danny was right. And he says, because it doesn't feel right. Yeah. That was one of those like brief moments of like, John has always been an honorable guy. A lot of this show is predicated on Jamie is dishonorable because he killed a Tarkarian in, an, in a dishonorable way in that damn room. And then yeah. here is Jon Snow, the one of the most honorable guys or attempting to be honorable. Yeah. Uh, and then he did. So I love that. He just was like, I, you convinced me that I had to, but I, I don't feel right about it. I yeah. like that. Tyrion takes his responsibility and says, we, and then I love that. He says, ask me again in 10 years. Yeah. No, that's, I love that so much. That's exactly what I was talking about a second ago of like, that's clear communication of ambiguity. Yeah. That the characters don't know if what they did was right. And that, that to me is, is juicy and interesting. Yeah. So I wanted to shout that out is a thing I liked from the finale, uh, yes. even though there are things I yes, didn't like. I All underline right. your shout. <laughs> uh, so there is a prequel in the works. Right. That's going to be coming out. Uh, it is uh, the alleged title, according to a slip from George R. R. Martin, is The Long Night. It's starring Naomi Watts is right. the main character. Bunch of other great actors in it. And it's going to allegedly explore uh, origins, possibly the White Walkers and Essos, and maybe have like like uh, Starks, Lannisters, maybe even Baratheons, uh, early, early versions, <laughs> versions, you know, cause they're computer programs, <laughs> the early apps of the Starks. Uh, so my just question is, yeah. are you excited for it? Because I think that's a sign of how you feel about game of Thrones. If, if you're excited to go like, I want to go back to that world. Um, yes. And I'm also happy <laughs> it's not starting next week. Okay. I think that's a, a good answer. Yeah. I think I am excited, uh, partially just as a being a fan of Star Wars and seeing how something that ha- was like on this much of the palette can suddenly mm-hmm. be expanded and have lots of different colors and shapes that I didn't know were part of the palette. Yeah, I'm excited to see if the same thing happens with Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, and I'm curious what happens when they expand the palette of. Do we see more of uh, Essos, or is it still all Westeros? And yeah, kind of, or uh, what are the other Osses? And yeah. <laughs> all right. Here's my actual final question. Yes. Which of these theoretical sequels do you want to see <laughs> now? And now they're not even theoretical because uh, right before we recorded this, an executive from HBO uh, snuffed out any rumors that there was going to be a Arya goes west of Westeros <laughs> sequel. Uh. He's just like, it's not happening. Uh, so. But which one would you want to see in theory? Uh-huh. Uh, Arya in the map of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Arya goes off and is an awesome explorer pirate. Uh, would you like a show called Queen in the North starring Sansa? Uh, would you like uh, a show called Hard Home that's uh, starring uh, John Snowgarian, as I'm going to choose to call him, <laughs> and Tormund and Ghost and, and the mm-hmm. society they're forming up there in the, the, the real north, as Tormund would call it? Or would you like a sitcom called uh, The Small Council? Uh, yes. <laughs> I would like all four. You like all four. I would okay. subscribe to that package. If you could pick only one of those, because I, I think that's what was really in oh, one of the interesting, wow. successful things about the finale to me is that it told us where the characters 
ended up, but where they ended up was on a trajectory yeah. to have more life. There was no, and they lived happily ever after. Like a kraken could eat Arya's ship two seconds from where we saw her. You're like, we don't know what's going to happen next. They're going to have more adventures, all yeah. of them going off in these directions and facing challenges. Uh, so which one where are you, would you be most excited to see? Sorry, it's a cruel question. It is. Um, I mean, so before you listed them, I was going to say Arya Goes West. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like I should go with that one. I really want to watch Sansa, Queen of the North. Yeah. I really want to watch. Oh, that's such a great title. Ghosts, Adventures in the Real North. <laughs> a Saturday morning cartoon. Yes. <laughs> Ghost in the Real North. Yeah. But Small Council, I don't know. I just, it's. I think I'm going to go with a small council, and here's why. Because the others are so far one to three characters that we yeah. know we like. Small council has at least five characters that we know we like. That so is I'm just going to go great. with pure numbers. Nice. I Yeah, to me, it's like a, just like a nice, self-contained, 22-minute uh, funny banter show. Yep. <laughs> I am mostly joking. <laughs> mostly but we'll see i also it's also just kind of amazing to live in the era we live now because it's also like 10 years from now after doing 800 amazing projects maybe macy williams is like yeah i i want to do that aria show now yeah for you know hbo plus you know or whatever uh, yeah. you know yeah, game of thrones has its own streaming service so they need more content <laughs> i mean you know who knows card has his own show Picard. yeah yeah anyway all right, so uh, we did an extra long episode because there's so much to talk about, so we're not going to do our How Obsessed Are You questions. Uh, we are going to wrap up, as we often do, with uh, first, I want to rate your obsession, and then we're going to do a noise to sum up your obsession. Mm -hmm. So, uh, normally ask on a scale of 1 to 10, because there are only six episodes in this final season, I want to do a scale of 1 to 6. Mm. 6 being the highest, 1 being the lowest. How obsessed do you feel with Game of Thrones right now? Honestly... I'm going to say like a three and a half or a four. Okay. Because Maybe a three and a half. Because you're at that point where you just, we had this big meal and now you're ready to take a step back. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think that's good. I think it's going to still be turning in my mind and I think it is the show itself and all of what it means in culture going forward in our relationship to art and to pop culture is going to fuel so many conversations. Mm -hmm. I think even if I am like, okay, let's take a little break. I think I'm going to remain at a five. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. And I should clarify, it's not about my like of the show. It's right. just how much I think it will stay a part of my daily life. Yeah. The absolute uh, uh, obsession, obsession level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes uh, a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm going to ask you one how obsessed are you questions. I, <laughs> I, I saw it on my sheet and I can't stop myself. Would you still like the show if it was discovered every episode had a coffee or water cup hidden in it somewhere? Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> there's just so much about the coffee cup and then there was I a know, plastic the water, water bottle, bottle. Yeah. i know behind so, the foot uh, uh, uh. i know all right so here we sit you a three and a half to a four me and a me a five on our obsessed uh levels a noise to sum up your journey your obsession with game of thrones <laughs> okay so walk me through that noise 
Do you even know? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. That was a narrative. All right. It was totally a narrative. So I started by thinking about, um, you know, in the opening credits, there's the circly orby thingy. Yeah. And so that was the sound that they make at the beginning, the... And then I was thinking about the birds, like the three-eyed raven flying, the sound of the wind under the wings could also be the dragon. And then the end was kind of... um, I think when I started going to it, I was meaning to do like burning metal, but then I forgot. So just like a clunk sound, meaning like the sword being put down or the shield being put down. Oh, yeah. Metal to the ground. Something's done. Something is done and over. I think that is beautiful. I'm going to make a noise to sum up my obsession. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. That was me drinking whiskey. (laughs) But the noise is really about, hopefully, everyone in Westeros who enjoys wine enjoying a nice glass of wine mm-hmm. as they look to their hopefully better future. I'm with you on that one. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me uh, and and uh, sharing all of your great thoughts and observations and letting me uh, process uh, some of my <laughs> <laughs> my feelings, my deep, deep feelings. Uh, my pleasure. Excellent. Thank you very much. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed.